paying 50 cents to get 90 when I'm owed a dollar doesn't make any sense. Nah, nah, it don't take a genius to understand that. Welcome to BizBuild Podcast, presented to you by the good folks here at Diamondback Tool Company. I'm the host of the show, Damani, head of sales and media for Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow me at Diamondback underscore Damani, that's D-A-M-A-N-I on Instagram. I'm here, as I will be on every episode, with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow him on Instagram at diamondback.toolbelts. The purpose of BizBuild is to provide listeners an inside track on what it takes to build a business. It is our hope that you can learn from our successes and pitfalls and siphon knowledge from our various expertise so that you can get an edge in the business of building something great. Welcome to the BizBuild Podcast. I'm here with CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts, Connor Crook. My name is Diamondback Damani. We are here today to talk about bankruptcy. Bankruptcy for me is a really complicated thing, and we're hoping that we can simplify the whole uh, meaning of bankruptcy, all the different styles of bankruptcy, even get maybe into a little bit about the history of bankruptcy and why it exists here with a man who has dealt a lot with that in the legal system and has much more training than I do, one Connor C. Crook. Connor, starting out, let's just get down to the basics of what exactly does bankruptcy mean? Because I think the general understanding of it from people that aren't in finance or in law, that just means that you have no more money. Exactly correct. That is the the popular conception of what bankruptcy means, but it's far from the case. Uh, Bankruptcy generally means that you are in a position of lacking, uh, well, you're underwater. Um, You may have lots of assets, but you have more debts. Um, you know, I've done work with clients in bankruptcy that had millions of dollars worth of assets. They were just upside down on them to the point where they could not pay their uh, pay those debts. Can I pause you just for a second? Sure. I just want to clarify assets and debts. Assets meaning things that things that hold value, and debts are money that uh, that you owe. Exactly, and and there of course there are lots of kinds of assets. There are lots of kinds of debts. Assets can be liquid assets like cash, semi-liquid assets like stocks that you can easily sell, mm-hmm. or they can be more illiquid assets like a house, a piece of land, or maybe stock in a small company that's more difficult to sell. So, Or your children? Children are sort of a combination of assets and liabilities. <laughs> uh, historically speaking, they were considered assets when they worked on the farm. Today, if you have children and you have to take care of them, you realize they're oftentimes liabilities. I know that very well. <laughs> so a debt or a liability would be monies that you owe. And, and those can be a wide variety of things as well. Um, you know, I can owe you 10 bucks. I owe you 10 bucks. That's easy. Or perhaps I have a house and I have a mortgage. That's a different kind of debt. That's a secured debt, which means if I don't pay, you get to take my house. And, and, there, and there's a long-term thing, usually 30 years or a car loan, something like that. So debts can be things that are immediately due and payable or things that are payable sometime in the future or things that you're paying along the way. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in the position where maybe I need to declare bankruptcy, that doesn't mean that 
my bank account is zero. It just means that I have more debt or I owe more than what I actually have over the course of a long period of time. I remember there was a pop culture reference about 10 years ago, the popular rapper 50 Cent declared bankruptcy and then it was like on the internet, he's broke, how can he be broke? He sold 30 million albums, but he was never broke. Right. Um, <laughs> broke don't mean bankrupt. <laughs> don't mean bankrupt. So if I'm in a position where, wh wh what position would I need to be in to declare bankruptcy and then how does that help me? Right. So, bankruptcy, you can declare bankruptcy pretty much any time. There is a, you know, if you were to go and meet with an attorney and say, hey, I'm having some real problems with all of these debts, they're piling up, what do I do? Your bankruptcy lawyer may suggest bankruptcy. Uh, there are, there's a quote-unquote means test, mm -hmm. which means uh, you can only file certain types of bankruptcy under certain conditions. Uh, you can't just walk away from everything if there's a way that perhaps you can pay other things. So mm -hmm. the two primary types of bankruptcy for consumers, which means either non-corporate entities or people who don't have lots and lots of assets, mm -hmm. uh, the cutoff changes from time to time, but essentially a regular person, let's call. Mm -hmm. You can either file a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 13. Chapter 7 means I go in, I've got lots of debts, way more than my assets, and essentially I give up the right to what assets I have, mm -hmm. except for certain things that are protected by state and federal law. Um, you know, you're, depending on which state you're in, there are different exceptions, but... Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, famously, yeah. there's uh, you know a guy who used to play football who filed bankruptcy in a particular state because he got to keep his primary residence, which was worth a couple million dollars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that. <laughs> so um, essentially what you're doing is you're giving up claims on most of your assets in exchange for having your debts dismissed. There are some limits on what debts can be dismissed, and we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. Versus if I go into a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, so that first one, that's a Chapter 7. A Chapter 11 bankruptcy is you're saying, look, I, I'm swamped. Mm -hmm. I want to come up with a plan that pays everybody a little bit. Right. Okay. And so then your creditors are broken into classes, and we'll talk about which classes there are. And essentially, the guys at the top, they might get paid full full freight. The guys in the middle, they might get paid, well, I'm going to pay 50 cents on the dollar for you. And the guys at the bottom, sorry, you ain't getting nothing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that can, and, and when you go into in Chapter 11, it's a plan. It's usually either a three-year or five-year plan where you, are slowly paying back. You're your slowly debt. paying back, and then at the end of that, you're released, and everything is sort of we've met the obligations that we agreed on. And you do that so that people don't come and try and seize everything from you at one time. Is that how that works? Right. It's sort of an orderly way of doing things because what happens, what can happen, and one of the reasons you file bankruptcy is when you file bankruptcy, it stops all collection actions. Oh, so, that sounds nice. Well. The point is to put a freeze on uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary trying to get your money. And it's sort of like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Let's do this in an orderly fashion. Peter might have a better claim than Paul, and maybe right. Mary has a different type of claim. So let's unwind this situation in an orderly fashion. Does it also put a freeze on accruing interest on your debt as well? 
That's a very good question. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. Okay. It's been a while. Because <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, because the reason why I ask is that would be because interest is what kills you ultimately over a course of time. And if they say, okay, stop, you know, then let's just say it's this number, and then eventually you can pay it back. That would be really awesome. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, the first thing that popped into my head was what happened to chapter one through six. Those are all parts of the code, but the specific types of bankruptcy are laid out in 7, 9, 11, and 13. Oh, I see. Okay, so there's a whole bankruptcy code. Sure. And um, and then those are the chapters that explain to you the exact actions that you right. can take. Chapter 9 is for municipalities. I don't think anybody listening to this is going to have to worry about that one. No, I don't even know what that word means. Oh. <laughs> so... I want to get a little bit more into the differences between a chapter 7, a 13, and a chapter 11. Mm -hmm. But I want to back up a little bit because I think it's really, really interesting. I actually took it upon myself to do a little bit of reading myself on why bankruptcy exists. Sure. And and I know, would you elaborate on that a little bit? Sorry. Well, so there's a state in the United States, Georgia. Mm Mm-hmm. Georgia was originally founded as a debtor's colony. Okay. People in England who owed a bunch of money got sent there. Right on. As opposed Um, to getting sent to prison, probably. As opposed to getting sent to prison. Because the system in those days was if you owed a bunch of people money, you couldn't pay, they sent you to prison. Right. Which doesn't doesn't make make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) Doesn't really help the guy that's owed money. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you get your pound of flash. Right. SOB's going to jail, but I ain't getting no money. So instead, you send them to this really hot and humid place so they could suffer. It was like a different kind of prison. Well, it was sort of a buffer between the the colonists in South Carolina and the Native Americans. They were sort of like, we're going to put y'all in this little place over here. And y'all might get killed by the Indians, but right. you ain't got to go to prison. Um, what a trade-off. <laughs> and plus, you had a great little voyage on your way. I'm sure that was comfortable. Right. No one got so, scurvy or rickets. So... The when the you know the the founders of the, the people who wrote the Constitution, the founding fathers, many of them were business people, and they were looking at a different way of handling people who got into into that situation. And one of the ideas in the founding of the United States is we want people to take market risks. Right. We want people to start businesses. We want people to take a chance. Right. So. The flip side of that is, or or I guess how you incentivize people to take chances is to give them an example, out, an, a, a net, a safety net. A safety net, okay. Yeah. And so the safety net that we created was bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, go out, try to start a business, go try to start whatever it is. But if you fail, mm-hmm. there's going to be this process called bankruptcy, and we'll you'll be able to under certain restrictions wipe the slate clean, blah blah blah, and start over again. This is so wild to me. So the first two things popped into my head. One is that you're tuned in to the Biz Build Podcast. I'm Damani. And I'm Connor Crook. The history of Georgia is people that were bad at business. (laughs) So, like, I'm just kind of wondering how that translates over the course of time. Like, what is the culture there on a business end? And the second thing is, this is interesting that the United States wanted to incentivize people to take risk because, obviously, the more risk you take, the, the greater the reward, you know, can be long term. 
But if you take that sort of philosophy and like apply it to other financial risk-taking institutions, like I don't know gambling, it the the logic doesn't even play out. Well, the difference is we like to think of businesses as not being gambling per se, but but it is. There's a difference. Calculated gambling. Calculated gambling. Right. Yes, it is a game of skill rather than a game of chance, as, as the Virginia legislature tries to define when they you know, say whether or not you can play the lottery or something. All right, um, okay. But the idea was to promote business opportunities, and that was then to pre- create this process of bankruptcy. And, of course, bankruptcy is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right. Literally, in those times, may it ha- maybe it was, but— right. You know, there are certainly repercussions when you file bankruptcy. If you file bankruptcy, you know, your credit is shot. You, know, you can't file and get a discharge again for like eight years. So if you get in the hole again, you're yeah, screwed. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is your one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are definitely repercussions um, to filing bankruptcy. You lose all of your assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a freebie, but it is. it does provide a balance when you're trying to figure out how to incentivize people to take risks and start businesses. And that's protected constitutionally. That's just not some random thing. Right. You know, the the American Constitution is a pretty short document, um, and it doesn't cover a lot of specifics. Uh, We've left that to Congress over the last 250 years to add to the Constitution. But bankruptcy is actually enshrined in the American Constitution. And from what my understanding is, prior to... Uh, the Constitution, there was creditor-debtor laws that were different in each state. So if I went into debt in New Hampshire, I could just move to Connecticut and get out of it. Well, there were different laws as well as the ability to... uh, Collect. Yeah, the ability to collect. The ability to extradite somebody from one colony to another in 1750 was not what it is today. Right, right. They didn't have the FBI. No, it was a lot easier to run away from a horse and buggy (laughs) than it is a prowler. (laughs) (laughs) um, And so it was pretty easy to get this sort of concept introduced into... Uh, the the Constitution and the Continental Congress um, uh, sessions because all the states were like, yo, we do need this overarching sort of protection for debtors and creditors. Right. And and it is a way that, you know, if you you can imagine each state at that point in time or colony didn't want people running up huge debts in their colony and then running off to somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, So... You know, the the Constitution initially had very few specifics because there were very few things that people at that time saw to be national concerns. Right. Like, okay, we need to have a single army. Right. But the state still had militias. Right. Uh, But, you know, things that were commercial were some of the first things that people thought, okay, we kind of all need to have the same rules when it comes to business so that people can start businesses and move from state to state and be able to conduct business in multiple states at the same time. Right, and that incentivizes interstate commerce, which then creates a larger economic market that allows the United States to be able to compete with other countries that are more established. And we know that the Commerce Clause is one of the other founding parts of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. The federal government regulates interstate commerce. Yeah. So I guess the Founding Fathers had a couple of good ideas. 
They had some good ones. They had some bad ones. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, some that we're still working on improving, but that's all right, though. So let's get a little bit more into the specific chapters since we skipped chapter one through six. And apparently there's no uh, nine, ten, <laughs> or twelve. There is none. It just has to deal with cities and municipalities. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah that's the municipalities. That other word I don't know. So, um... I'm still a little bit shaky here on understanding the advantage or disadvantage of going with a chapter seven versus a chapter eleven. Right. So you got to dumb it down for me. Right. This is so. New. So one of the primary things is: Do you own your house? Okay. Again, laws change over time, and it's been a few years since I was practicing in the bankruptcy realm, but one of the issues that was going on a few years ago when I was doing a lot of this was whether or not you could continue to keep your house in a Chapter 7. Mm-hmm. It seems like a pretty important thing to have a place to live. Well, I mean, you can always rent a place. Oh, right. versus your. So a mortgage is an interesting thing. A mortgage says... I owe the bank money. Yeah. $100,000, $200,000. I owe the bank $100,000. Mm-hmm. The bank has a security interest on my house, which means if I don't pay that money, they can foreclose and take my house. Zoop. Happens a lot. Happens a lot. Technically, those are two different things, the money owed and the security interest. Okay. So the bankruptcy courts have to wrestle with, okay, if we get discharge that debt, mm-hmm. debt's gone. You don't owe the money anymore. But the bank still has a security interest on your house. Right. So you don't owe the money, but the bank can still come and take your house? Exactly. Uh-huh. If you don't pay the money it, that you don't owe. So right. there were a number of things that, that courts and, and attorneys were trying to work out of, okay, if you discharge the debt, but then you re-agree to it after the fact, we'll let you stay in the house mm-hmm. and keep, and it's a new debt. The debt is new. It's after the discharge. Or can we just kind of be nice to each other and play nice? And so courts wrestle with when those types of things are enforceable. So that becomes an issue in a chapter seven versus a chapter 11. You've gone in, you said, okay, bank has a secure debt. Secure debts are going to be paid at hundred percent, ninety percent, eighty percent, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and we we work that out ahead of time. Right on. Okay. So, and what? Why, and why would a bank agree to that? Well, so let's say a bank forecloses on your house. Mm-hmm. Um, you bought the house for two hundred thousand dollars. You still owe one hundred fifty. Mm-hmm. So that means the bank can go in and foreclose on the house. Yeah. That costs money. That's a legal process, state by state. Some states, you act, they actually have to file a lawsuit and go through a whole bunch of hoops. Other states. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a lot of paper. Virginia has a non-judiciary uh, foreclosure system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically have to run an ad in the paper for a month. Mm-hmm. But that costs money. they got to hire lawyers, pay for the thing to run in the paper. There's always the chance they do it wrong, and then they have to do it again. Yeah. Um, and then when they foreclose on that house, they're not going to get two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. They're lucky to get the hundred fifty that you owe them. So maybe they only get a hundred, mm-hmm. and they've spent twenty five to get there. So now they really only got seventy five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And so what are they going to do? Come after you for the balance? Mm-hmm. You don't have any money. You're in bankruptcy. Right. Right. So, so they're taking a loss here. So sometimes it's better for them. To, you know, this is the thing that goes along. You know, we've talked about this in other legal 
areas, when you think about transaction cost, what it takes to get the money you're owed, right. mm-hmm. sometimes it's better to take 90 cents than the dollar. Right. Instead of having to go through all these other processes. Paying to 50 cents to get 90 when I'm owed a dollar doesn't make any sense. Nah, nah. It don't take a genius to understand that. All right. So... In, in, in my layman's understanding of it, it's, it seems more advantageous to go with a Chapter 11 bankruptcy for me if I'm the person that owes the money. You're going to have less negative repercussions from a Chapter 11. Uh, if you file a Chapter 7, you cannot file another within eight years. Mm-hmm. If you file an 11, and you, you at least get the chance to work it out. Mm-hmm. And if you fail at the plan, mm-hmm. your case will likely be converted to a 7. Mm-hmm. So sort of a fallback. Right. Fall back to the fallback. Right, right. Um, so there's always that possibility. But you So it sounds like you would want to go immediately with a chapter eleven. It, because it, chapter it, seven is pretty much like I just gotta wash my hands of all this and start all over right. again. But if you're the person who has fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars of medical debt and you don't have a job, mm-hmm. and there's no plan. There's no way you're gonna pay that. Oh, so you just go straight chapter seven. Yeah. yeah. If you have a job, you have some assets. You have the ability to work your way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chapter 11 is more advantageous. But if you are just totally sunk, and you know, as we know with healthcare costs in America, uh, the, a large number of the Chapter 7s, if not the majority, are driven by healthcare debt. So in my mind, I just added labels to these. And for a Chapter 11, I call that the relief bankruptcy. Just, just, just help me dig myself out. In Chapter 7, it's like, I'm drown. I'm drowned. It. Hands up. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, I'm drowned. It. I'm gone. Don't even throw the the life jacket. Right. Because there's no sense in saving me. So, in between, well, maybe not in between, is a chapter thirteen. Right. So a chapter thirteen is a totally different beast. Um, it's also a really unlucky number. <laughs> and you're unlucky if you have anything to do with one. <laughs> um, so we all know Sears, for instance, filed bankruptcy at mm-hmm. some point recently. That's a 13. That's, so an entity like Sears or we all know the airlines, you know, they all file bankruptcy every few years. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that's a Chapter 13. But I represented folks who might own a business or own a couple of businesses and maybe have million, $2 million worth of assets, but then they also have a million, $2 million worth of debt. Mm-hmm. And so a Chapter 13 is a way that a a high-asset individual or corporation can come in and say, look, we owe 18 different people different amounts of money. They're all maybe one of them has a first mortgage and one has a second mortgage on this one piece of property. Um, And it's very complicated. We just need a way to reorganize. Mm. And that's why it's called a reorganization. So in a Chapter 13 reorganization, similar to an 11, you come up with a plan, and the plan works out, okay, I have three businesses. I'm going to sell. I need some time so that I can sell one of these businesses. I'll use the cash from that to pay off the debts on this other business. And if I can just keep that third business operating, that'll make enough money that I can pay off all the costs of this bankruptcy, including my lawyer, who's very expensive, mm-hmm. and various other things. And so at the end of the day, again, we come up with classes of class A, they're going to get all their money. Class A, as you might assume, is the federal government. You owe the federal government money? You got to pay them money. first, yeah. 
Um, class A. That's your taxes and all that stuff. That's your taxes. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing about uh, student uh, is student debt. Mm-hmm. So we all know that there are a lot of people in the country who have tremendous amounts of student debt. Mm-hmm. You cannot get rid of student debt in a bankruptcy. Hmm. The reason there, it's again, it's sort of a bargain, so that banks will loan money to 18-year-olds to go to college who don't have jobs. We don't know when they might get a job. We don't right. know anything about them other than they're 18 they want to go to college. Right. That's a risky bet. That is. So to incentivize banks to loan them money, mm-hmm. the government says, don't worry, you're going to get it. They can't get out of it in bankruptcy. Wow. That creates some very odd uh, incentive, uh, incentives when you then talk about packaging that debt and selling it down the road, mm-hmm. much like we had in the housing crisis. Yeah. Because what happens there is I'm the bank. I loan Radio Mike money to go to college. Yeah. I then bundle that loan mm-hmm. with 50 other ones or 100 other ones and sell it as a security on the stock market. Yeah. I now... I don't care if Mike pays that money back because he ain't paying me. Right. So then you end up with this very odd incentive structure of the people issuing the loan Mm -hmm. don't care if they get paid back. So they'll loan money to anybody. Then what happens in the the student debt crisis situation is now the school that Mike goes to says, we're going to raise our tuition at $100,000 a year because Mike's going to be able to borrow the money to come. Right, because banks are just lending to 18-year-olds. You don't got to worry about that anymore. So now the college, uh-huh. especially for-profit colleges, are going to raise their tuitions astronomically because right. Mike really wants to go to college. Mm-hmm. He's going to borrow the money to go. And the bank is going to give it because they don't care because they're going to sell it in a security and they're not even going to own the debt anymore. Everybody wins except one. The student. Mike. Mike screwed. Tune in to the next episode of the BizBuild podcast for part two of this conversation. You won't want to miss it. You've just been listening to the BizBuild podcast. I'm your host, Damani. Follow me on Instagram at Diamondback underscore Damani. That's D-A-M-A-N-I. Or follow Connor on Instagram at Diamondback.toolbelts. You can also find more about Diamondback by visiting our YouTube page or Facebook page. Hope you enjoyed what you heard here today, and we look forward to you joining us again on our next episodes. Take care. Don't forget to like and subscribe.